Uh, and turn our attention to Psalm uh, 9, Psalm 9. So if you want to click there, if you want to follow along on the screens, if you want to reach in front of you, there should be a Bible somewhere in front of you, around you, uh, somewhere in your zip code. Uh, but let's, uh, I'm going to read Psalm chapter 9 in its entirety, uh, and let's hear the word of the Lord today. I will praise you, O Lord, with all of my heart. I will tell of all of your wonders. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. For my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before you. You have upheld my right uh, and my cause. You You have sat on your throne judging righteously. You have rebuked the nations, destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. Endless ruin has overtaken the enemy. You have uprooted their cities. Even the memory of them has perished. The Lord reigns forever. He has established his throne for judgment. He will judge the world in righteousness. He will govern the peoples with justice. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name will trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord enthroned in Zion. Proclaim among the nations what he has done. For he who avenges blood remembers. He does not ignore the cry of the afflicted. O Lord, see how my enemies persecute me. Have mercy and lift me up from the gates of death, that I may declare your praises. In the gates of your daughter Zion, and there rejoice in your salvation. For the nations have fallen into the pit that they have dug. Their feet are caught in the net that they have hidden. The Lord is known by his justice. The wicked are ensnared by the work of their hands. The wicked return to the grave and all the nations that forget God. But the needy will not always be forgotten, nor the hope of the afflicted ever perish. Arise, O Lord, let not man triumph. Let the nations be judged in your presence. Strike them with terror, O Lord, let the nations know They are but men. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Upon first reading, um, there's enough in there that it might surprise us that the overall tone of this psalm is one of thanksgiving. Uh, In fact, that's how the psalm begins right from the very beginning. It it starts with uh, this, this theme of thanksgiving, I will praise you, O Lord, with all of my heart. I will tell of your wonders. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. And that kind of sets the, the, the tone for the entire psalm that, that, that is one of thanksgiving based on the faithfulness of God in the past, which gives the writer the, the confidence of God's faithfulness in the future. And and maybe you've been there, maybe you've gone through a season of difficulty, you found God to be faithful, and then when you come up against another circumstance, another difficulty, another challenge in your life, you kind of draw from the experience of the faithfulness of God to bring you through, once again, the current challenge. And that's certainly where the psalm writer is here. He's writing a psalm of thanksgiving based on the faithfulness of God, which gives him confidence for the faithfulness of God in the future. In fact, if you notice throughout the psalm, uh, the poet declares that the past actions of God, uh, he he declares the past action of God in order to uh, declare what God is going to do in the future. He's kind of drawing this connection. This is what you have done in the past. Therefore, I have confidence this this is what you will do in the future. Um, And and so I think that that's significant for us. 
But there's also this um, thing that whenever we're reading the psalm, it's important for us to have some sort of context. Uh, do you remember several weeks ago when we first looked at Psalm chapter 7, uh, I said that poetry and art um, is usually not born in a vacuum. There, there's something that happens. There's some sort of inspiration. There's some event that, that, that inspires the art. And so it's important to kind of even as best as we can try to get the scene or the context of who is talking or what's going on. And so I began to ask my, myself the question, whose voice are we hearing in the psalm? Whose voice are we hearing? Now the specific answer to that is actually given to us in the, in the notes right above the psalm. The specific answer to that is David. Uh, King David is writing this psalm as he, as he is accredited to writing many of the psalms. But David appears to be not just speaking for himself. He appears to be speaking on behalf of an entire nation. And as I began to dig in and, and study more and more and kind of look at what scholars are saying about this psalm, I began to realize that enemy in the psalm is kind of a generalized term for both the wicked and the nations. Right? So anytime in the psalm you hear the nations or the wicked or the enemy, this is a synonymous term that's just meant to be, I'm under the, I'm under the thumb of the nations of the wicked or of my enemies. And so David is, is talking maybe about a personal experience, but more broadly, he's kind of speaking on behalf of an entire people. And then he identifies himself with, with certain terms, too, that you, you can kind of get a sense that there are terms in this psalm that he really resonates with. And it's terms uh, that he identifies with, like the oppressed in verse 9, the afflicted that's used in verse 12 and 18, and then the needy. When we put all these things together, what we begin to see and what we begin to recognize is that this poem is, is from the voice of the marginalized. Um, it, it's from the voice of those who are without power. Or you might even say it this way, this poem is written from the perspective of the socially vulnerable. Right? And it begins to kind of take on a new tone when you begin to see that, right? Um, we, we have this problem um, living where we live in the most powerful, most wealthy nation on earth. We, we tend to uh, not read scripture from the viewpoint of the oppressed, uh, which is actually where the viewpoint that most of scripture is written from. Most of scripture is written from those who are, are under the thumb of an empire. Uh, and so we have a particular challenge living in, in a wealthy and powerful nation of, of how do we kind of properly read scripture because it's difficult for us to read it from that viewpoint. So the, the poem begins to take on a new tone when we realize this, that, that here it is, it's the marginalized are counting on the faithfulness of Yahweh who remembers his saving deeds and does not forget the cries of the afflicted. Uh, I think that's a good word. I think that's an important word. And so spoken from the perspective of the oppressed, this poem is largely one of thanksgiving in praise of Yahweh who under his governance interrupts typical social relationships of power. Oh, that's good. <laughs> so that's so good, let me say it again, right? Because I'm not confident you totally caught it, right? So spoken from the perspective of the oppressed, this poem is largely one of thanksgiving 
in praise of Yahweh who under his governance interrupts typical social relationships of power. Which is to say the relationship between those that, are, that could, could be called weak and those who could be called strong under Yahweh's direction, that relationship is transformed so that the marginalized then are given a voice. In other words, what this psalm seems to be saying to us is God is on the side of the marginalized. That God hears the cries of the afflicted. That God works for the message or for the liberation of the oppressed. That's the message. Now, remember that it's always important to read the psalms in light of Christ, right? That, that Jesus, as the full revelation of God, is kind of our host into the Old Testament, right? That whenever we read the Old Testament, we have the privilege of reading it through the lens of Christ. Sometimes I call this reading the Bible backwards, right? So we have it, we, 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 Jesus is our sponsor or our host into the Old Testament. And so we read the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus Christ. And what we find is that this message is in perfect alignment with the message of Jesus, who demonstrates to us through his life and through his teaching that God cares for the poor, for the immigrant, for the widow, for the marginalized. That God, now, now we, might, we, those, you know, we might want to say, well, yes, but God cares for everybody. That's true. That's 100% true. <laughs> God cares for everybody. But God, throughout Scripture, tends to give special attention, special care for those that are marginalized, oppressed, afflicted, poor, the widow, the immigrant. Just a, a few examples, and of course we could do this for a long time, but just a few examples of what I'm talking about. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus says, whatever you have done for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you have done to me. Now, of course, I, I was reading this and I, I kind of think, you know, Jesus isn't exactly PC here, right? Because he's calling people least of these. Uh, which seems like you couldn't get by with that anymore, right? And so I want to say, of course, the least of these is, is a reference to social status, not to worth or value, okay? So the least of these is a reference to, to status within culture, not a reference to worth or value. In fact, Jesus' entire point there is that by caring for people who have been marginalized by society, you are demonstrating their value as human beings, <laughs> That, that somehow when the church, when the people of God care for those who are by society kind of marginalized and pushed to the edges, what the church is demonstrating when they do that, when we do that, is we're demonstrating the value of our brothers and sisters as humans, right? That we have this kind of shared humanity, that we're all in this together. That there's this sense in which if you, if you are reading Jesus in his world, you recognize that kind of Jesus is trying to blow up social structures, like kind of all the time. That's the business of Jesus. He's like, here's a social structure, and he's blowing it up, and he's introducing the kingdom of God, uh, kind of over and over again. And then Luke chapter 14, uh, Jesus teaches us that, hey, when you're having a dinner, um, invite those who are unable to pay you back. Uh, invite, share a table with folks who do not have a table they can share with you. 
That's pretty radical, right? It's amazing. It's amazing. When you, when you really begin to see Jesus in his world, you kind of recognize just how powerful his message is. And then in Luke chapter 12, just two chapters before the, the story I just mentioned, uh, there's a rich man who has a harvest that is so abundant, he can't store it all in his barns. And so he decides, since he's rich, that he's going to tear down his barns and build bigger ones to store his abundant harvest. To which Jesus says, you've missed the point. (laughs) Jesus rebukes this man and says, "Don't, don't tear down what you have and build more to hold all your stuff, but rather maybe share with those who don't have as much. I mean, it's like just even like right now, this moment on this platform, there's a, there's a convicting spirit to the words of Jesus, right? It's like, whoa. Well, the earliest followers of Jesus began to pick up on this and follow in Jesus' footsteps and taking care of the poor as well. And even Paul uh, rebukes the church in Corinth for table practices that, that keep the poor from fellowship, right? In fact, the famous communion passage that we use every week uh, it comes out in 2 Corinthians, comes out of a context in which the Corinthian church was kind of recognizing and upholding and observing, observing all the typical social structures that would prevent those who have less from joining at the table. Right? So the, the Corinthian church was kind of recognizing this hierarchy and they were practicing that as part of their table habits. And, and Jesus and Paul's instructions are you need to stop that. Because if the poor aren't welcomed at the table, um, well, then neither should you be. <laughs> it's, it's really something. And so Psalm chapter 9, I think for us, is, is just a reminder for something that I think all of us kind of know, maybe at a, at a head level, uh, but just trying to bring it down to a heart level. Um, and I think it helps when we recognize that it's written, that, that David is kind of speaking on behalf of a nation as it's under the thumb of of an oppressor. And he's drawing on uh, the faithfulness of God who will, because of his righteousness, hear the cries of the afflicted. Um, I also think it's particularly important or poignant that the, the tone of the psalm is one of thanksgiving and one of hope. Um, in the world in which we live, there's a news cycle that tends to be pretty dark. You with me? <laughs> like, Twitter is just this black hole of death, right? At least it is for me. You know, like, I kind of go there, and then I, get, I leave so discouraged, and I wonder why I keep going back. But, but it's like, there's so much going on in the world that could absolutely overwhelm us, right? And when I put myself in the position of this poet, this, this psalmist, speaking on behalf of an oppressed people, but taking on a tone of hope and of thanksgiving. I'm utterly moved by that. That that there's something to which, that one of the most faithful things we can do uh, as the people of God in the world right now is sort of maintain this this joy, this lightness, this hope, uh, this thanksgiving, uh, toward God in, 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 what we ha- in the confidence that we have that one day this too shall be made right, right? 
And I don't know about you, but I, I struggle with that. I struggle a lot with, with not just being so down and so discouraged and just feel the weight of kind of the, the news cycles that happen all over. Um, and, and, and I think the Lord has just challenged me this week in light of this psalm to, to really um, lean into hope, lean into this, this joyful thanksgiving of, of this, in this confidence of what God will do based on what God has done, right? God in his faithfulness has given us the Savior, the Messiah, shown us his very character in Jesus Christ. And so we can be sure that he too will make all things right, that there will come a day when this too shall be made right. Well, this of course means that as a church, both specifically us and then the global church, we have the privilege and the opportunity to embody God's care in the world, to carry on this thankful attitude, this, this perspective of hope, and, and this care for the world uh, and those that are poor and oppressed, uh, maybe by virtue of systems, by virtue of circumstances that are beyond control, but whoever finds themselves cast out and in need, it is the privilege and the responsibility of the people of God to come alongside of them. And can I just take this opportunity to say that this week, this week we had an impact meeting, and an impact meeting is, uh, you know, impact is our compassionate ministries uh, portion of our church, and we have a small team of leaders that help kind of coordinate that, and, and I joined that team of leaders this week for a meeting, and we were talking about different opportunities and, and just having a discussion, and in that meeting, I had the opportunity to say what I want to say to you publicly, and that is, I told them that I am consistently pleased with how this church responds to step up and meet needs for the different programs that we have. Let me give you some examples. Renee's Hope, we've been running that ministry every month for eight years. Eight years, we've been kind of reaching out to people who are in a season of homelessness. And two years ago, we actually had a, a big transition where uh, two years ago, we were in a different spot. We were doing every other month. You know, you could volunteer any month, but kind of every other month was our month. We better show up. We better get this done. And then when we, when we changed locations, the other church said, hey, we're not going to kind of join you in that move. And so if you want to do it, it'll be 100% up to you. And so we were going from every other month, kind of this is our deal, this is our time, to every single month. And we just weren't sure how it was going to work out. And now two years later, just every single month, we consistently have what we need in terms of food and volunteers. And I think that's amazing, right? And, and then uh, we've been doing FFH. We've been hosting it for a year. We were, we were a support church for about a year, a year and a half before that. So we're somewhere around year three in our investment and in our participation and partnership with Faith Family Hospitality. And here's the consistent uh, witness of churches that around year two or three of helping with FFH, interest starts to dwindle. And you start getting less and less volunteers. It becomes harder and harder to kind of conjure up uh, enough people to do it. But you know what our experience is here at Emmaus? Our experience is that every single round, whether it's hosted here or whether we're supporting Peak Community Church, we get more and more volunteers. That a growing base of you, our people, are getting involved. I think that's awesome, right? And so I just want to say that not only am I so proud to be part of a church and part of a people that are actively caring and living out the gospel in the world, I also just want to say thank you for embodying the good news of Jesus Christ in the world. 
Because as the psalm teaches us, as the psalm teaches us, God is on the side of the marginalized. God hears the cries of the afflicted and God works for the liberation of those who are oppressed. Amen? Amen. Now, let me close with an observation. In today's environment, if you make a Christian claim, like we've made today, that God cares for the poor, the marginalized, the immigrant, in a politically divided culture, a Christian claim can start to sound like a partisan political claim. You with me? Uh, And what happens then is when you make a Christian claim, Sometimes folks want to pin you on one side of the political line or the other. Uh, In in other words, if you follow Jesus and you talk about God's care for the marginalized, the afflicted, the immigrant, some will want to pin you as liberal. But then if you follow Jesus and you talk about God's care for the unborn, some will want to pin you as conservative, right? Right? And, and they kind of, we live in such a divided culture that it doesn't matter what you say, people are trying to put you in a camp. And, and there's a particular narrative of each camp. And they don't want you to break the narrative. As soon as you break the narrative, then, oh, we thought you were with us, you're not with us. Okay? And so in a politically polarized world, if you follow Jesus, you'll eventually get in trouble for being too political. <laughs> which is often code for breaking the script of partisan politics that we may have bought into, okay? And so people want to pin you on one side or the other. Here's my encouragement to you today. Resist their placement and boldly follow Jesus. Resist the placement and boldly follow Jesus, even at the risk of breaking the script of partisan politics that we may have bought into. And here's my other encouragement. Seek to understand Jesus in his world. Not as an abstract idea, not as a piece in a transaction between you and God, but really seek to understand Jesus in his world as the Messiah who came to show us God and the kingdom life. Because I'm convinced, I'm convinced that when we work really hard to understand Jesus in his world, we'll be far better equipped to understand Jesus in our world. And, and sometimes when we, when we say something as simple and maybe as obvious as God has care for human beings, <laughs> those who are marginalized, those who are poor, those who are in a place of need, the immigrant. When we make kind of a a standard baseline Christian claim like that, in in a world like today's, it will sound like we're kind of going this way or the other. And I want you to know that as your pastor, I'm doing my best to not live on a continuum of right or left. I'm doing my best to live according to the kingdom of God, as I see it and as I understand it. And I encourage you to do the same, because there are, there are portions on both sides of the divide that have completely bought into a narrative, 
and just follow a script, right? And uh, I, think, um, I think Jesus wants us to blow up the script <laughs> and just passionately follow him. Amen? Amen? Well, I encourage us to do that, and um, as I often say, I'm not going to give you any steps or, um, you know, I, I don't have an acrostic today uh, to help you do that, uh, but I am going to leave you uh, with the work of the Holy Spirit in your own life and heart to kind of work out what that might mean. Um, and, and just professing the unity that we have in Christ. Uh, that, that there could be a brother and sister passionately doing just that, who kind of land on different uh, ideas and perspectives and convictions, but we can gather together in unity, professing Jesus Christ as Lord. Amen? Well, I've said all that I want to say, and maybe more. So, let's pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you again for your presence with us. My prayer today, God, is that you would embolden us, uh, that you would lead us and guide us, that you would teach us um, what it means to be faithful, what it means to be your people in this time and in this place. And God, um, particularly as we work out kind of the nuances of what it might mean to follow you, I, I do pray that you would give us wisdom and insight and understanding that we might see your son, Jesus Christ, not as an abstract idea, not as an essential cog in a salvation wheel, God of heaven, may we come to see your Son, Jesus Christ, as Lord here and now. Not Lord elect, not Lord one day, but may our confession as the people of God be Jesus Christ is Lord. And may we embody the kingdom life in the kingdom of God, an alternative way. And so God, help us. It's easy in a, in a world that is so divided to just choose sides. And, man, we confess, Lord, and I confess that we're so tempted to do that. But God, would you help us in the moments when we're tempted to just choose sides to Lord, would you help us to chase you, to chase after the light of Christ in a world that often feels so dark. And so God, help us in these endeavors. We need your strength. We need your guidance. We need your wisdom. We pray that you would give it in abundance. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.